This is the fifth sermon in Privileges of the Kingdom. And as I mentioned before, it's really the seven marks of a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We started with a member, desire to belong, the privilege to belong to the kingdom, and we looked at magnifier or worship, the privilege to worship. We looked at privilege to mature or to grow. looked at the privilege to manage or steward the money and the resources God has given us. And so today we're going to look at privilege to serve. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll let you be seated in just a moment. New Living Translation says this, As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. For just a little bit, I'm going to preach on the privilege to serve, the privilege to serve. God bless you. You may be seated. Often, serving is viewed as lowly, and no one wants to be called a servant, at least outside of a church setting. And then we might recognize that being a servant of God is important, and, but we're not just servants, we're also children, as we've looked at before, but typically serving and servants are viewed as low on the totem pole and low in the hierarchy of life. But if you've ever been to a restaurant and had a bad server, you know that a good server is something to be desired. And a good server is one who is checking up on you often and they're looking at your drink and they know if you need more water or more unsweet iced tea. They know if you need things. They ask, can I get you more napkins? Or even if they're really good, they'll just bring you the stuff you need without you even having to ask. Anybody had servers like that? It's always better than those servers that don't seem to know you exist. And those servers that are somewhat like that, if you pay your bill but you're planning on sitting around for a while, then you're in trouble. The refills run out once you pay your bill and they've got their tip and they, they no longer pay attention to you. I've been there. There is a restaurant in Chicago. I've never been, but I, I've heard of it. It's called Ed DeBevick's. It is known for one thing. It's not having great servers. In fact, it is known for the opposite of that. And in fact, it is what they endeavor to do is that the server's job is to create sarcastic and snarky comments and try to offend you if at all possible. Their, their whole goal and the whole atmosphere of the restaurant is built around making fun of the clients or the food or whatever it happens to be. And if you can't do that, then you don't get to work there. 
Ed DeBevix was founded in 1984. 1985, there was another restaurant. I've not been to this one either. I've seen one of these in, in Indianapolis. We've been to a lot of conventions downtown Indianapolis, and it's called the, uh, Dick's Last Resort. Same kind of idea. Offend people if you can. Be sarcastic, facetious. Make fun of their food choices. Whatever it happens to be. I'm not sure what was going on in the mid-80s, 84 and 85, but uh, obviously I didn't get that because I, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s and I'm super nice and never facetious and sarcastic at all. I don't really understand it, but serving is important when you're the one being served and when you're the one who needs something from somebody else. And the Bible lists out at least three different places, some would say four, depending on how you decide to count the list of three to four different places where it lists out spiritual gifts. The supernatural spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, one set of gifts, and then the equipping gifts in Ephesians chapter 4 of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and the Romans 12, the gifts there of of serving and administration and mercy and helps and different list of gifts and different types of of emphases on those different locations, but all have one thing in common, and that is that all of the gifts are to serve the body of Christ. That if God gives you a gift, it's not for you to go, look at me, I've got a gift. It's for you to use that gift in serving in the body of Christ and serving the people of God. You have the gift of helps. You help in the church. You have the gift of administration in Romans 12, and you you help in administering the things of the kingdom and the things in the local church. If you have the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues, it's not for you to say, i got this great supernatural gift. Watch me do my thing, but it's, you are then a conduit for God to give a message to His people. If you have the gift of healing, it's not so you can just heal yourself and be put up on a pedestal, get you a TV ministry. It's for you to pray for the sick so that they will be healed. All of the gifts are about serving the body of Christ, and it's all about others. And I'm going to forego some of my introduction, but... Suffice it to say say this, that God expects and rewards service in His kingdom. That He expects His people to be involved in serving in His kingdom. And as such, He rewards them. And because that is true, that we must proactively and diligently serve in the kingdom of God. The setting of the text I read to you, it is Paul's final epistle. His last letter that would make it into the New Testament. Maybe he wrote a letter to a family member or somebody else. So I won't say it's the last thing he ever wrote, but it's the last thing that God put in his word that Paul wrote. He is in prison in Rome, waiting his execution. His execution that will follow a meeting with Caesar. He will testify before the emperor and then he will be killed. He's waiting. He knows that this is what's going to happen. And he would say that 
the time is at hand. I finished the course, kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. He would say, I've poured out my life as a drink offering. I've, I've served God and I've poured everything out and now I've come to the end of this journey. And he's writing to Timothy, his son in the gospel, to give him instructions on how to pastor and instructions on how to minister to the church at Ephesus. And in this letter to Timothy, he gives this shout out to Onesiphorus, who is only mentioned here in the Bible. The only place he's mentioned is this, this passage. And he gives the shout out because Onesiphorus served. Onesiphorus didn't say, look at me, but he got in and served. I'm going to give you five, six quick things as we hurry. The first thing about a true servant is this. A true servant serves as needed. Look at your neighbor and say, they serve as needed. Now, I, I, I'm going to probably be more interactive today because, once again, just like when I talked about money, this may not be the most spiritual thing you've ever heard, but it is an essential component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so since it's not this seemingly super spiritual and exciting thing that I'm telling you up here, you need to serve, I'm going to make sure you're interactive and you stay awake today and you get to talk to your neighbor. And if your neighbor doesn't look at you, when I say look at your neighbor, wake them up. But a true servant serves as needed. Paul would say in verse 16, May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. There was a need for Paul who was in prison. Prisons could be of a variety of sorts in the, the New Testament times. It could be a prison somewhat similar to what you would expect today. They're locked away and they can't, they can't get out. They, can't ha- they don't have visitors. It's, sometimes, though, it's house arrest. Sometimes it was lesser prisons, more like what we would call our city jail and, and not a federal penitentiary kind of idea. But whatever it was, Onesiphorus said Paul is in prison, and they're not necessarily giving them three meals a day. Barely enough to to sustain themselves until they can be executed down the road. Barely enough to make it, and Paul in need of things. You see him in various other places when he's in prison. He, He writes a number of letters from prison, and he would say, bring this stuff to me. I need my scrolls and I need my cloak. I, 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 where I am, that, there's, there's no heat and it's freezing in winter and I'm getting sick. So will bring my cloak and bring the books and bring the stuff that I need and people would bring them to, to him. It's the prison. They didn't really care if you lived. Save them an execution later on. So Onesiphorus sees the need and recognizes this is Paul, the apostle, who wrote 13 or 14 letters that are in the Bible. This is, he's in need, and so I'm going to go find him, and I'm going to help him. And as long as he's in need, I'm going to serve him. And Paul said, I want the Lord to show him special kindness. He often visited me and encouraged me. 
You ever felt like you needed to do something? And people are, you know, they're in need and you feel like, oh, well, I need to go help them. And then you go and you help them one time and you feel much better about it. And you never go back. Anybody? Go ahead and raise your hand. Hit your neighbor if they didn't raise their hand. Uh, slightly. Just don't, don't hurt them. Been there, done that. Hey, I did my duty. Sent them a card. Brought them a pie. But the question is, is there still a need? So as long as there's a need... You keep serving. You keep going back. It wasn't a one-time trip. Oh, and and his family, hey, we went and saw Paul in prison. We took care of our... Uh, don't feel guilty anymore. No, he often went. And he took his family with him. So he served as needed. As long as there was a need, he kept serving. Second thing you see in this text is that he's not ashamed to serve. The end of verse 16, he was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. Paul uses this phrase in chains. It could be symbolic many times it is that I'm a prisoner. I'm, but it's often literal chains. He's chained to a wall. You see this in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas, they're chained to the wall in prison and they sang and they prayed and sang praises to God and earthquake and the chains fall off and they're delivered out of the prison. They're not just sitting behind bars, but they're chained to the wall. And Paul says that Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed that I'm in chains. He wasn't ashamed that I'm this prisoner, that, that I'm looked down upon by the rest of the Roman world and the Roman culture because I'm a prisoner And Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison for being a Christian. And Onesiphorus, who's also a Christian, he's not ashamed to be counted with Paul. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian, but I'm still going to show up. Even if they put me in this prison as well. Even if they decide that I should also be in chains. He wasn't ashamed to be a servant. He wasn't ashamed of the work. He wasn't ashamed of the result. He wasn't ashamed of what people would think about him. Sometimes when we do things that are meaning, uh, menial, get that? not meaningless, but menial, it's like, man, I don't want people to know that I'm doing this. Anybody ever been there? You're a new person on the job, and they stick you clean in the bathrooms, and everybody else is cooking fried chicken, you know, and you're like, oh, clean the... what do you do for a living? I clean the toilets at KFC. I've actually done that. I got to cook the chicken too. But. but when you're not doing something that you think is important or all that great, and all Onesiphorus is doing, he's not writing letters. He's not out preaching on the street corner. He's just going to take care of Paul. Paul, you need anything? Can I bring you some food? Can I bring you some more clothes? Can I help you get cleaned up because they're not letting you out of these chains? not a schedule. It's not, you're not going to the bathroom down the hallway. Not, a, not ashamed to be called a servant. Not ashamed to do 
what's necessary for the people of God. The true servant also desires to serve. Verse 17, Onesiphorus came to Rome. He comes from Ephesus. We see that he came from Ephesus in verse 18. He comes from Ephesus to Rome. And when he gets there, the text says he searched everywhere until he found me. I'm going to give it three days, and if I don't find Paul, then, hey, I did my duty. No, he kept looking until he found him. I've got to serve him. I've got to help him. I've got to be there for him. I've got to do what I can to help him. It's the attitude of a servant. It's the attitude that says, there's a need, and I've got to go take care of this need. It's my responsibility, and it's also my privilege to serve the people of God. And Paul, this man of God in prison, I need to take care of him. And I use that phrase, man of God, there, but I just want you to know, this is not about serving preachers. This is about serving all of God's people. It just so happens that Paul is a preacher of the gospel who is writing this, and Onesiphorus is the one who came to help him, but other people in need in this congregation, do you desire to help them and serve them and be there for them? And When people are sick and in need, starting a food train or whatever it's called, where you make sure they've got food to eat and they've got what they need when they can't do it for themselves. And when they're out of work, what can I do to help and come alongside you and minister to your needs? So Onesiphorus would seek opportunity to serve eagerly, and then he followed through on that opportunity often. The fourth truth is this, and if you have the app, you're following along, is this, the true servant is ultimately rewarded by God. That Paul would pray the special blessing on Onesiphorus. May the Lord show special kindness to him. I want God to bless him. I want God to be at work in his life because he served. I want God to minister to him when he's in need. Rewarded for his service. Then Paul would end his epistle with this phrase once again. He starts verse 16, may the Lord show special kindness. Verse 18, may the Lord show him special kindness, not just now, but on the day of Christ's return. That it's not just about what you're going to get here because you're, you're helping it. Not just what you're going to get here because you're serving. Not just because you're going to get on a, a pat on the back. But Paul says, when Jesus comes back, I want him to have special blessing and special kindness because of what he did in the present. That it is a reward both now and in eternity when we serve the kingdom of God and we serve the people of the kingdom. It is what God is calling us to do. We will be rewarded. And lastly, the true servant has this pattern of service. 
Once again, it's not a one-time kind of idea. Make sure you're awake, tap your neighbor, say it's not a one-time event. Paul says he came to Rome and he helped me and he served me and he did it over and over and over. But not only did he serve me repeatedly in Rome, but he closes this verse and ultimately this chapter. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. He's been doing this for a long time. He didn't wait till I was in prison in Rome to decide to start being a servant, decide to start ministering to the people in the church. He's been doing this for a long time. You know what he did back in Ephesus, but he heard I was in Rome. He left there and he came here, but it wasn't just so he could get accolades. It wasn't just so I would say, oh, look at Onesiphorus, look how awesome he is. But you know, Timothy, what he did back in Ephesus and how helpful he was and how he served and how he ministered. A true servant... God wants to serve and is not afraid to serve, not ashamed to serve, is, desires it and is rewarded by God and has a pattern of service. Now I realize that, once again, not the most spiritual thing if we're in a Pentecostal church. Nobody's saying, man, I think I need to take a lap to celebrate serving. I get that. And, and so as a Pentecostal preacher, I would love to just preach those things. Wouldn't that be awesome? So exciting. Get excited or we cry or preach something like this and you're like, you're crying because you're like, please let him be done. See, it's not just what God calls us to do. It's what God did. That Jesus would say that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So while it's seemingly not spiritual, serving is really being like Jesus. Which means everything that causes us to be like Jesus is really spiritual. That Jesus, right before the Last Supper, the last meal He would eat before His crucifixion, when they entered the house, He would stoop to get the bowl and the towel. And he would say to his disciples, let me wash your feet. Once again, this is now we do it in a symbolic deal where there are still people who do foot washing. They observe it as one of the ordinances of the church. Because Jesus did it and he said to his disciples, you do it. But it's not just because they would, he just wanted to do it. They're walking in the dirt. You've heard me say this before. They're, 
They're walking in the dirt and animals are walking around with them and the dung of animals mixed with the dirt and the dust and the feet are covered with all of this. And so when somebody would come into a house in order to keep it clean, in order to keep those unclean things away, their house may have dirt, but it doesn't have the dung of animals on the floor and mixed in. And so a servant would take a bowl of water, usually the least servant in the house, and wash the people's feet who came in. And Jesus, when they came in, he didn't ask for some other servant. He's like, just give me the towel and give me the bowl. Let me wash your feet. Demonstrating what it means to be a servant. We use this phrase, everyone is a minister. Anybody ever heard that? Everyone is a minister, but I said it this morning earlier, the word servant and the word minister are synonyms. So if everyone's a minister, that means everyone's a servant. With a responsibility to serve those in need and responsibility to help those in need and responsibility just to come alongside. Responsibility to serve like Jesus Jesus would say to his disciples, he who would be greatest among you, get on the platform. No, he did. You who are greatest among, who would be greatest among you, talk a whole lot. (laughs) No, but he who would be greatest among you, must be servant of all. Why? Because he who was greatest came to serve. And so what does he do? He calls us to serve. He calls us to look for opportunities around us and look at our neighbor and look at our fellow believers and go, man, they're struggling right now. How can I help? They're in need right now. How can I help? What can I do? He who would be greatest among you must be servant of all. Would you stand together? Jesus would not only say that he came to serve and not only call his disciples to be servants, but he himself who was that greatest example of what it means to be a servant not just because he healed the sick and raised the dead not even because he washed the disciples feet but that he who was the greatest servant ever came and lived a sinless life The life that you and I could not live, He lived it in our place. And the death that you and I deserved, He took it in our place. And He paid the penalty for your sin and mine so that we could have eternal life when we come into a relationship with Him. The greatest act of sacrifice and also the greatest act of servitude. He gave Himself for you and I. 
greater love has no man than this. And a man lay down his life for his friend. What if I could remind you this truth that it's not just everybody who gets to partake in what Jesus did. Oh, everybody can. Everybody can come to Jesus. But the key to participating in His sacrifice is actually coming to Him and entering into a relationship with Him. And we do that through recognizing that He is the only way. That He is the only hope, the only truth, He's the only life. Coming to Him in faith, believing that He will save us. Coming to faith, believing that He wants us to live forever with Him. Repenting of our sins and turning from our sinful ways and walking with Him. Going down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus the washing away of our sins and being filled with the Spirit of God. His greatest act of service and His greatest sacrifice, we can't participate in it, but we have to choose to participate and choose to follow Him. As I close with this idea, had it in my nose to say that service is a lifetime commitment and it is in my my notes Anna the widow that is there at the dedication of Jesus she's in her 80s her husband had died when she was a young wife. She had options. Look for another man. But what she chose to do was to go to the temple and to dedicate herself to the service of the Lord. So she's there. Messiah is born and eight days later they bring him to the temple to offer sacrifice and for him to be circumcised and dedicated to the Lord. What I'm bringing that up for is this, that God is calling us to a lifetime commitment, not just of service, not just for service to other people. We never graduate from serving others. We never graduate from, well, I've been there and I've done that always ways you can serve but more importantly than us just serving one another he said it's a lifetime commitment to Jesus we have to keep serving him until the end until the end of our lives or until his return whichever comes first it's a lifetime commitment so I could stand up here today and say hey we need more volunteers we do It's not just about volunteers. We've got a need right now, so just jump in and help out. And then, well, I, I've done that already. I'm tired of that. I'll, I'll just go back. 
God is calling us to serve for a lifetime. Not just in the moment when there's a particular need. There's always going to be need. There's always opportunity to serve. And I want you to serve in physical ways. But more importantly, I want to make sure that you're serving Him. And it's a lifetime commitment. I'm going to follow Him and serve Him until He comes. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Jesus, we love You. We thank You, Lord, for You being the example of what it means to serve. For You being the the ultimate example of sacrifice and service through Your death on the cross. Lord, what we do in our acts of service here to one another, sometimes they may seem insignificant. But Lord, every time we serve, we're being like You. Every time we serve a brother or sister and we're doing it for you Lord you're making us more in your image you're helping us to become the people you want us to be Lord we can't become the people you want us to be if we don't serve Lord it's not just about being on the volunteer schedule and the volunteer list and maybe the greatest things the greatest ways people serve never show up on the list but they just see a need of a brother or sister and they seek to meet that and they seek to help them and they come alongside it won't show up at volunteer appreciation meetings it won't show up on a schedule but you're taking record in heaven and in the words of Paul about Onesiphorus may you show special kindness to those who give themselves to serving not only you but to serving others as well and serving them in your name whoever gives drink of water to a little one in your name whoever does acts of service in your name it will not go unnoticed and it will not go unrewarded Lord I pray today that beyond the acts of service that I've mostly preached about, taking care of the needs of others around us and helping them. Just like we would do that for a lifetime, Lord, that our commitment to you would be the driving factor, that we would serve you forever. We would serve your kingdom forever. We would follow you graduate from following you. We don't graduate from trusting you. We don't graduate from believing your word. Lord, we're going to serve you forever until you come or you take us home. We thank you, Jesus.